Welcome to the third in Fiona's Travels podcast series. So the main focus of today's podcast is my brother-in-law, Peter Rankin. He was leader of Preston City Council up till last year and died a year ago in June 2018. And I was really lucky because I'd been travelling and I was able to put all my travelling plans on hold and spend a month with the family, helping them through the absolutely dreadful process of losing a fantastic father and husband and then organising the funeral. The funeral was absolutely amazing. I think 400 people came. It was in Preston Minster. When the funeral cortege went past the town hall, all the staff came out to show their respects. The most amazing thing that I've been part of. It's not an interview with Peter by me this time. It's an interview that took place on on the radio about quite a long time ago. And it just gives the most beautiful and rounded picture of a really, really interesting, committed, politically engaged and politically aware man who, like I said, was also a fantastic father and a fantastic husband to my sister. Before we begin... I'm going to just quickly tell you about something that happened, that's going to be happening on the 27th of June and the 30th of June 2019. If you're listening to this after that time, then it'll be interesting anyway. Thank you. Last year, when I was at the Yiddish Summer Weimar Klezmer Dance Festival, I saw the most amazing contemporary dance performance. It was by three Syrian refugees. I don't even normally go to contemporary dance performances. I wouldn't have even gone. But it was on the same night as a Kaylee, so I thought I would go. It wasn't very expensive. And I was completely knocked out by it. It was the most spectacular astonishing performance that I've ever seen. It was a packed house and we gave them a standing ovation. I cried during the performance and talking to the dancers afterwards who were also teaching us in our dance group. We were learning Syrian dance with them and I decided that I would make a big effort and try and get them to come to Scotland the next year and I work for the Scottish Council of Jewish Communities and we've been working with the Scottish Refugee Council And I'm just so excited to say that we are going to be bringing these dancers to Scotland for their first performance outside Germany as part of Refugee Festival Scotland 2019. And the other exciting thing about it is that each performance is going to be followed by a Klezmer Cayley. So the really revolutionary thing about this show is that Total Brutal, who have put on this show in Berlin, is run by Nir de Wolf, who is Israeli, and you would never get an Israeli working with Syrians. Those countries are at war in their home turf. They don't speak. So what's changed is that in Berlin, anything can happen. 
The show is about three Syrians arriving in Berlin. What on earth happens when they're getting when they they come across a complete change of culture, a complete cultural difference, and they try and find their way in the new culture of Berlin, which with its freedoms and self-expressionism, and it's just amazing for them, and they have nightmares, and then they're fulfilling their dreams, and it's an amazing story. And then the other spectacular thing, like I said, we're following it with a klezmer Kaley, which is the dances of the Ashkenazi Jews of Eastern Europe. And you wouldn't normally get Syrians and Jewish dancing together on the same evening. So you can come and watch a dance and then you can come and take part in some dancing. And it's happening in Edinburgh on the 27th of June and Glasgow on the 30th of June. And if you look up Refugee Festival Scotland, you'll find the full details in there. Was the dance orchestra workshop at last year's Yiddish Summer Weimar playing for our Syrian dancers to teach a Dabka dance workshop. Now on with the main part of the programme which is an interview that took place four years ago on Preston FM with Huey Parr interviewing interviewing my late brother-in-law Peter Rankin. I've already told you about this interview. I won't say any more. I'll let him speak for himself. At the end of the interview, we're going to hear something different. We're going to hear a song, Weary Winter, by John Connolly, which, which was sung by Bob at Preston Folk Club in May last year. Preston Folk Club really helped me during the time that I was in Preston with my family when Peter was going through his last illness and I'm really grateful to them. I recorded a whole evening on the 30th of May. They were singing songs from that period, and I think Weary Winter really speaks to us. Uh, 
And you're with Chat City on this uh, Tuesday morning, and uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome into the studio our first visitor this morning, and it's Councillor Peter Rankin, leader of Preston City Council. So, Peter, a very good morning to you. Thank you. Good work. I morning to you and your listeners. I don't know if it's your first visit to us here at Preston FM. No, I've, uh, I've been before I've, uh, a couple of times. Lovely. Well, I, w- I would imagine most of our listeners' knowledge of you as leader of Preston City Council will be formed by either reading the local newspaper or short burst interviews perhaps in uh, local radio. Will they have gained a sound and balanced insight into you, Peter, as leader of the council? And to you as a person, it's un- it's very unlikely because I think uh, uh, anything that appears in the press uh, obviously is focusing on a particular uh, topic, and the press might want to put a particular spin on it, or um, indeed um, they want to mind- they might want to emphasise a particular aspect of that topic. Mm. Uh, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, I get a, I get a quote. So I don't think people get a, uh, a true idea of what uh, of what uh, I'm all about, really. Um, and uh, those who've heard me, of course, know that I'm not uh, a native Princetonian. I'm uh, actually born in uh, in the north of Ireland and um, uh, spent my uh, my formative years there. Mm. But I came to Preston in 1979, so I feel as if uh, I'm uh, almost Preston-born, having been here for 34 years. (laughs) Yes. And and being born in in Northern Ireland and living in Northern Ireland, then, was um, politics often high on the agenda? Was it something discussed at home and at school? That's that's very interesting, because I was... uh, I mean, I was was quite young... um, uh, when th- uh, the the troubles uh, started in Northern Ireland, the the um, the civil the civil rights uh, demonstration started, and I, but I, towards the end of uh, when the civil rights demonstrations were were uh, really uh, making themselves known, as as a young person in the sixth form, I I, I was a very questioning person, and uh, a couple of us in our sixth form. Uh, Got got involved in these uh, civil rights demonstrations, and very quickly I got I got pulled in because I've I've always believed in I've always been a fair person and it uh, and a questioning person, and the sort of questions I were I was asking uh, the the answers I got and I, uh, were really um, didn't seem to me to fit what I thought was fair. I mean, there was huge discrimination uh, at the time. There was gerrymandering so that mm. uh, people couldn't get elected. And it's interesting because I, as I was growing up, uh, and I, I read my uh, parents' newspaper, which happened to be the Daily Mail, actually, which is nowhere near my, my politi- <laughs> political views these days. Yes, but, I, I but I learned quite a lot, and I remember reading about South Africa and uh, what was happening over there. And I... I I, I got that sort of parallel that it was it was similar-ish to what was happening, and then when I went to university, I was still involved in civil rights. But then I got involved in the anti-apartheid movement, and you know, huge parallels there between what was happening in the north of Ireland and what was happening in in South Africa. Much much worse in South Africa, obviously, but 
Uh, it's interesting that the right-wing unionists in Northern Ireland very much put themselves in the place uh, of the uh, right-wing Afrikaners in South Africa. Uh, they, they, they felt themselves uh, to be uh, under siege mm. and uh, reacted in, in very similar ways. So that was really, I suppose, how my political views started to started to form uh, as a result of seeing things happening that in the world and in my own backyard, as it were, that that just didn't seem to be right and fair to people. And I've uh, that's been my philosophy uh, right from those those years, really, that we should treat people fairly. And if you look mm. around society at the moment, you know, it was very far from being fair. Yes. So, so if you if you'd have been born then at an earlier time and remained in Northern Ireland, do you feel you would have become politically involved in Northern Ireland in bringing about change and uniformity and cohesion? I think, like a a lot of young people who went to university at that time, uh, we sought escape. Um, it may seem strange, I've been talking about being involved in, in activities at that stage. Things turned very nasty, and I think a lot of us just despaired of what was happening. Mm. Unlike South Africa, we didn't have uh, a Mandela standing in the wings who, would, uh, who was there to, uh, uh, to, to rally the, uh, the people and, um, and, and uh, be... Uh, uh, mollifying and bring people together that 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 uh, never happened unfortunately mm. and in in fact talking about south africa i mean as we speak the memorial service is now being held what do you think is the legacy that nelson mandela has left for us i think i mean there's so many things really uh, that you that one can think of and uh, I was uh, I was listening um, last night to uh, to what Gordon Brown said in in Parliament, and I couldn't begin to uh, achieve uh, his eloquence in, in 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 talking about Mandela. But there's so many facets to the guy, and one thing he said was, "Look, for goodness' sake, don't call me a saint. I'm not a saint. Mm. I'm a sinner who is trying his best." And you know, I think that sums up. An awful lot of us, uh, we, you know, we've all got our faults, but we're just we're just trying our best. Mandela uh, succeeded uh, where a lot of us, uh, through force of personality, uh, where a, a lot of other presidents and politicians uh, haven't succeeded. But you think about the way he reached out to his um, supposed enemies, and. Uh, I, I was reading some very powerful stories about uh, uh, the uh, very dyed-in-the-wool reactionary Afrikaners going to see him. And uh, basically, these people have gone in to say, uh, now you've been released, um, we are going to... Uh, we don't want to be taken over by the Africans. We're, we are going to take up arms. After a couple of hours with him... They came out completely, completely uh, changed and disarmed uh, in more senses than one, really. 
completely won over by the guy. Uh, uh, he just had this capacity just to be very firm, uh, very straight with people, but just win people over. And I think, I think the tolerance he showed is is a terrific lesson to us all. That that tolerance of people with opposing views. Mm. Um, but at the same time, this inner core of strength, uh, from what I've read, uh, he, uh, he, he had that inner core where people believed that um, he knew where he was going and he knew what he was about and he wasn't prepared. Well, he was prepared to reach out, but there were certain things he wasn't prepared to compromise on, mm. such as power. He knew that, uh, uh, that the Africans had to have power. They were the majority. But he wanted it to be a fair society. And that's, mm. and, uh, and that's, that's what he sought. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's part of his legacy. I think the other thing that impressed me, uh, just reading what he was saying, um, one of the things that helped bring down the apartheid regime was the fact that the children, uh, the African children, went on strike uh, they mm. didn't go to school. And this had a huge effect across the world. Uh, but as soon as Mandela was released, he said, you must go back to school because education is so important. And I think that's another lesson that uh, so many of our children in, in this country don't realise. They do mm. not realise that education is, is, is absolutely crucial. And when we look at community cohesion and we, we look here in Preston, I mean, what, what are the issues do we face in Preston in sustaining a vibrant, cohesive, multicultural society? I mean, we now have um, probably over recent years a, a large, sizable Polish community. There is the possibility, but yet we don't know that maybe in 2014 we could see more people coming in from Romania, etc. What are the what are the issues that face us in continuing to have a large city that is healthy, vibrant, and uh, spirited in community relations? Well, I think we have a, a terrific uh, city. We've got a very diverse uh, community, as you say and uh, becoming more diverse all the time. Um, I think the, uh, the great thing about Preston is, um, uh, and it did bring a lump to my throat uh, last year during the Guild, when mm, you yes. saw in the community procession, all of Preston's communities represented, even ladies from the Muslim community who many of whom are reluctant to leave their homes. They were out there on the, on the, uh, on the backs of the lorries. And that was, that was a terrific, um, confident, um, basically saying to, to Preston, we are part of Preston, we are making our contribution. And I think that's what, what I would have to say to, to anybody who questions uh, their diverse community. I would say they're all. Everybody is making a contribution. I would say that what is important is that, and I know people feel under threat, particularly these days when uh, jobs are uh, few and far between. Mm. Between people are concerned about uh, people coming in and undercutting them. It is absolutely crucial, and here I, I have to be uh, party political. 
government must absolutely must ensure that people are paid at least the minimum wage which we know we know that uh, it, it's not happening and a lot of a lot of these people coming in from from other countries there is this uh, fear that the, that uh, that uh, the, the the resident population is going to be undercut we have got to ensure that minimum wages are maintained and indeed people are paid a living wage. I'm a great believer in the living Mm. wage and and Preston was one of the first authorities to uh, pay and promote the living wage. And basically the living wage is saying this is what people need to live on without having to make up their their wage packet through uh, credits uh, from government. And when you think about it, why should government make up people's wages? employers should pay a living wage. I'm a great believer in that. Right. And uh, talking about pay, etc. I mean, uh, it's been announced the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, which is the body that oversees MPs' pay and expenses, have recommended 11% pay rise from May 2015. Now, that's on top of a basic salary MP of uh, 66,000. Are we really all in it together? Uh, <laughs> Uh, it is. I'm lost for words, really. The to the public, all they see is that MPs are awarding themselves uh, a, an 11 percent increase. It is actually is an independent body that is doing it. Mm. But I, I just I I can't believe that they are doing this because uh, of the of what people throughout the country are suffering at the moment. Uh, most people haven't had a pay rise over the past few years. We've had an independent re- remuneration panel uh, looking at uh, councillors' allowances in Preston. And they've actually, once again, this happened last year, where they recommended that, that I receive an increase and once again, they've said, look, for the amount of work uh, that you're doing as, as, as leader of the council, we, we think you're entitled to, to a higher increase. Uh, you're entitled to an increase, which brings you up to perhaps the, the same level as, as many other leaders in, in Lancashire. I can't accept that. I really can't. Not in the present condition where we're having to make savings at the council. And people in the community who are working uh, haven't received pay increases. And people who are unemployed uh, certainly haven't received much of a, a, an increase in, uh, in their benefits. Uh, it would just uh, be appalling. So I don't expect any MP to accept the, uh, the increase. I really don't. Mm. Uh, it's been awarded by an independent panel but MPs don't have to accept it. And I'm sure um, our listeners would be more than surprised if, uh, if whilst you're here with me, I didn't mention the bus station because during, <laughs> during 2013, I'm sure from your point of view, and uh, certainly doing this programme five days a week, the bus station has often been a topic from people from both sides of the divide. Now that uh, I, I think the LCC will be taking over from, is it probably March 2014? Yeah. 
What would you like to see? What would you like to see happen to the bus station? Is it is it an integral part of the future of Preston City? Well, it certainly has been. Uh, I know the ch- for the Chinese, it's been the year of the horse. I think for me, it's been the year of the bus station. <laughs> Uh, it has been it has been a difficult year. Uh, we've uh, we've uh, been we, we've had a dilemma basically because we haven't had the money and we don't have the money that's needed to uh, uh, needed to be spent on repairs. Uh, never mind renovations on the bus station. It's been neglected. I, I've I've admitted this. It's been neglected for a very long time. Then does need to be an. Exp- uh, exceptional amount of money spent on it to to bring it up to standard all i've wanted is a good quality bus station for the people of preston mm. they don't have that at the moment what i would like to see now that the county's taken it over is um i, I want it to be made safe and that that is number one so uh, the, the the county council is going to be talking to the bus operators, seeing how they can move all the buses round to the other side of the bus station, put in uh, modern systems of uh, uh, of bus pickup, uh, so you don't have a bay for each particular uh, number of bus. Um, so it's so it's a slicker. Um, mm. More modern system, so so you, you you can cut down the number of bays from eighty to to about uh, thirty or, or thirty-three. That means that people can walk from the bus stay, uh, from the city centre straight into the bus uh, uh, station without fear of being run over, and we can take down that terrible fence. Sorry, I say we. <laughs> I still feel it belongs to Preston City Council. Uh, it belongs to the county council now. I know they are looking at ways to bring in further money. Uh, there is the Heritage Lottery Fund. I'm aware of negotiations that are going on to bring in something else to the ground floor. I'm not at liberty to say what those are at the moment, but I'm hoping that there will be very quickly uh, a conclusion to those negotiations and we'll see further uses in uh, uh, to the, the ground floor of the bus station, which is... Which is huge. I think yes. if it hadn't been so big, yeah. yes. uh, we would have been able to cope with it. But uh, genuinely, it was a f- it was a case of not having the money to do what is needed with that building, and the county having eight point three million, which isn't mm. enough, but it's it's yeah. a really good start to do something with it. And I certainly wish them well. And um, you know, as uh, it, it caused us problems, it being listed, but. Yes, as you say, I think uh, as a listed building, it has to, money has to be spent on it. It's now important to Preston as a listed building, and we can't afford for nothing to happen. But having said that, it's going to take some time. People shouldn't expect uh, you know, expenditure overnight and changes overnight. Um, it'll take, I would think, perhaps... Um, a few years before people will notice a real change and mm. feel this this is a mo- this is a modern bus station that has been created out of this listed building, right. because of course because it's listed everything will have to go through English heritage yes, and yes. Uh, through the bureaucracy, uh, so everything's going to take much longer I would think. 
So if uh, if 2013 was year of the bus station for you, is uh, 2014 year of the regeneration of Preston City Centre for you? I I know people are terribly cynical about um, about what the council is trying to do. Uh, that's understandable because people were expecting for ten years uh, tithe barn to happen. Uh, it's it wasn't the council's fault. I mean, I wasn't around at the time. It wasn't the council's fault that it didn't happen. Uh, the financial uh, system virtually collapsed in two thousand and eight. We know that uh, retail is uh, is people people shop on the internet these days. So retail isn't the the the, uh, the fantastic uh, asset that it used to be. We have to protect what we have and look to see how we can improve and regenerate what we have, our, our old buildings, look into new ways of doing things. We, we were very keen to create a new market under the, uh, uh, under the, uh, the Victorian and Edwardian canopies, those wonderful listed, uh, listed buildings. Yes. And, um, and from that, we hope uh, to create a cinema in the city centre we have cinema operators wanting to open up in the city centre. So I think the future is bright, but it is such hard work because there is no public money, very, very little public mm. money available. And uh, we have to try and persuade the, the private sector to get involved. I say there's very little public money available. We now have a partnership with the county council as a result of the bus station. We're looking at what we can do together uh, the county council obviously has its own financial problems, but it's much, much bigger than we are. And together, we we can work with the private sector to uh, to make things happen. So it, it it really is hard work. I understand people uh, feeling nothing will happen. We are determined to make things happen, but it is hard work. Right. Well, I'm sure on. Uh on a nice lighter side, it must be uh, pleasurable being leader of a council that's seen Avonham Park have uh, plus one million visitors over the year. The Harris Museum also the in the uh, tourist um, awards for the year, national tourist uh, for visitation. There's some real jewels in the crown in Preston, aren't there? I'm glad you mentioned that, <laughs> because... Uh, sometimes I do wonder why I'm doing this because it, it is such hard work and, you know, I'm 63. <laughs> I took early retirement from my work to do this and sometimes I feel, I, and certainly my wife says, uh, when can you take some time off? <laughs> I seem to be working harder now than when I was working uh, yes, uh, I at, the, at the university. But... Yes, it does. When I look around and see Evenham Park, and I cycle through Evenham Park, um, you know, two or three times a week. Yes. Because um, uh, I, I always try to come in from Ashton, where I live, along the Guild Wheel, that yeah. section of the Guild Wheel. It does give me a boost. It makes me feel so proud of I what uh, of what Avonham Park and Miller Park are like. They are fantastic. And then I come into uh, the flag market, which in itself is uh, is marvellous. And what we've done with the cenotaph, cenotaph. Uh, it's uh, it is absolutely fantastic. And of course the Harris. 
um, the jewel in the crown. It's it's such a fantastic mm. building. I remember when the BBC uh, came to see us uh, when they were talking about um, the idea of having the passion, uh, putting on the passion in in Preston last year. Uh, we we met them in the Harris. Uh, well, I took them over to the Harris, and they, and they looked up at the building, and they were impressed. And I said, "Wait until you get inside. <laughs> if you think this yes. is good, you'll be blown away." And uh, you know, as I was when I came to Preston, and uh, I think I first came when I was when I was courting uh, my, who, uh, the uh, the girl who became my wife uh, in the nineteen seventies. That was what really struck me, and I'd been living in Oxford. And to yeah. come up here <laughs> yes, and the to see this wonderful building yeah. and indeed Winkley Square as That's well. That's right. Yes. You know, we've yes. got some fantastic... I agree. Uh, I agree. We've got some fantastic buildings and uh, the environment in, in Preston is amazing. The post office, which I always think reminds me of a French chateau, mm. that is a mm. fabulous building. Mm. And you know, we, if you were to see the inside of it... The inside is horrible, absolutely horrible, and we've been told probably would cost you know five million pounds to uh, to convert into anything. Mm. It's hugely problematic, but what a fantastic looking building that is! Mm. So you know we we are blessed with the assets we have. I agree. I just wish we were. Well, I, I just wish we could do uh, more with the buildings. Uh, much more quickly than uh, we seem to be able to do. I mean, we uh, very often when we're talking to developers, we think, ah, right, we've got somebody interested, so it's two steps forward, and then they, then they have a look, and then they think, hmm, they might have problems raising the money for this, and so it's so it's one step back, and so it's uh, it, it's not easy. But you know, we've got fantastic assets in Preston. I, I call them assets because they they are. Mm. Uh, they're a real asset to uh, to the community, and you know we don't sell ourselves well enough. I know that, and I, I, know, I know we have to do a lot more to market Preston as as somewhere it's worth visiting and, mm. and looking around. And I think a lot of Prestonians, because they've grown up with it, they perhaps feel a bit oh, well. Preston, Preston's going nowhere. Uh, they need to look around and. You know, we we stand proud in Lancashire. We really do, compared with uh, with other towns. Uh, you know, we've got we should be proud of Preston. I'm I'm not a native Bristolian, no. but I'm hugely proud of uh, of where I live. And yes, where, where my children have been born and brought up. Yes, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> no, not a native Prestonian, but I feel the same about Preston. I love the Guild Wheel. I just think, and and so many people Isn't now come into Preston yes. along the Guild Wheel. Yes, and I just love it. It's that beautiful. that is that is a new asset that's been created. that yes. uh, is of tremendous benefit to uh, to us all, really. Well, Peter, it's been a pleasure meeting this morning. Uh, I thank you for coming into the studio and uh, I would just love uh, maybe if you could uh, visit us a little more regular in that busy timetable that you've got but it's been a pleasure meeting you thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure I've enjoyed it thank you Travelers tales for you to share when I return from who knows where.
when the weary winter's o'er, I will change to the road once more. When summer learns the dance of spring, I'll be home for the rush bearing. When the frost has left the ground, I will travel the country round. Leave the one I love so dear to plow the furrow of the turning year. And when the weary winter's o'er, I will take to the road once more. When summer learns the dance of spring, I'll be home for the rush bearing. These dingy gardens well I know, where those cracky cracky flowers grow. Where the sun goes down to rest, there lives the ones I love the best. And when the weary winter's o'er, I will take to the road once more. When summer learns the dance of spring, I'll be home for the rush bearing. These three things I will give to you, the hand of friendship firm and true, songs to make your rafters ring, and fields of flowers in the spring. And when the weary winter's o'er, I will take to the road once more. When summer learns the dance of spring, I'll be home for the rush bearing. When summer learns the dance of spring, You've been listening to Fiona's Travels, Episode 3, mixed in Lancaster in June 2019, with Huey Parr interviewing Peter Rankin on Preston FM in 2014, Bob singing Weary Winter by John Connolly, reproduced with permission, and we finish as usual with Brittany and Natalie Haas. Do subscribe so you hear about my next episodes. The next one should be coming out in two weeks' time, all being well. A fabulous interview with Matt Whelan, Master Thatcher from Kilmore Quay in County Wexford. Mm-hmm.